Mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do any of you have fears that maybe really shouldn't be legitimate fears after all? Especially when you look at all of the evidence. Uh, take, for example, you know, how many of you, when you cross over the Mackinac Bridge, ever wondered to yourself, what would happen if this bridge collapsed right now? And, and some of you are thinking, well, now, I, now I'm going to, right? But, in the, in the, but, you know, consider all the evidence. In the 60 years that the Mackinac Bridge has been in existence, it's never collapsed. And thank, thank God for that because the chief engineer's daughter of that project is sitting in this room today. But I won't say any more about, about that, right? You know, sometimes we have these same kinds of fears about our eternal salvation. You know, we might think to ourselves, what if I'm not saved? What if in the end Jesus really doesn't love me? How do I know that I am saved? Well, let me tell you this. All the evidence points to the fact that you are. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the one who saves people. Jesus Christ is the one who gives salvation as a free gift through his death and resurrection. Yet many people still have this question, and so the hard question that we are wrestling with today and asking is, how can I be confident that I am saved? How can I be confident that I'm saved? We read today two parables from the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus tells these stories, one about a lost sheep and one about a lost coin. So the way Jesus tells the story is this. He says, there was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he noticed that one of his sheep was missing. So he left the 99 to go and find the one. So the one that was found, was that sheep saved? Yes or no? Yes. How was that sheep saved? Because the shepherd went and saved the sheep. Jesus tells another story about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she misplaced one of those coins. And what did she do? She turned on a lamp, she swept her whole house to go and find one coin. In the end, was that one coin saved? Yes or no? Yes. How was that coin saved? Because the woman went and found the coin. And Jesus very clearly says in both of these parables, the point of the parable is this. It is a joyous celebration when a sinner repents. Jesus says even more so, it is a joyous celebration in heaven when one sinner repents than when there are 99 so-called righteous people who think that they don't need to repent. If you remember, at the very beginning, before Jesus even told these parables, the whole reason he told these parables, because Jesus was keeping company with tax collectors and with sinners. 
And so the Pharisees and the scribes, the church people, were looking at this so-called teacher, and they said, he hangs out with lousy company. And so Jesus is telling them exactly why he's doing that, because he came to go and find the things that were lost. Our God is a God who pursues us always. When we are in deep darkness, Jesus runs deeper and deeper after us. Where we are stuck in our sin, grace abounds even more and more. The point of these parables that we read is that the action of seeking and saving belongs to the shepherd and to the woman. They pursue the lost things simply because they are lost. They love the thing that is lost. And Jesus loves those who are lost. Later in the book of Luke, four chapters later, Luke chapter 19, Jesus will say this about his purpose. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus does it. That's why he came, to go after and to save the lost. I, I, I just boldly and, and truthfully and clearly want to proclaim to you this day that you have no reason to doubt or worry about your salvation. If your desire is to be saved by Jesus and Jesus alone, then you are. If you acknowledge I need salvation, and you acknowledge Jesus is the one who saves me, you're saved. Done. Over with. Accomplished. Because Jesus died for you and he rose for you. Your salvation is not based on anything else, not anything you've done or left undone. It is solely based on the fact that Jesus has saved you. Jesus loves people that are lost. And Jesus goes after people that are lost and he stops at nothing to find them. But oftentimes that's hard for us to understand because I think we're not all that good at finding things that are lost. I don't know. Let's put this picture up on the screen. Have any of you ever experienced this with your kids? I can't find it anywhere. It's just gone. (laughs) You know, you send your kids to find something, whatever it is, and they go... I don't know. You ever, you ever had that? Yes, we, in my house, I have it with my kids, but in all honesty, I'm probably the worst offender in my house. I loathe looking for things that are lost. I, I just don't, I go, I, I'd rather buy another one. I don't know. I just, that's just my style. But so it's much better, it's much better that Jesus Christ is the one who is on the lookout for the lost and that he seeks to save them. And this is also good. This is also good because many times the it in the picture, the thing that is lost, or, or frankly the one who is lost, might not always know that they are lost. They might not even know that they need saving or finding because where they are is just where they always have been. But Jesus Christ goes after them anyways. I want to tell you a story about a time that I didn't know that I needed to be saved, 
but in actuality, I did. Two summers ago, my family went on a vacation to Southern California with my mom and dad and with my brother and his wife and their two kids. We were there for a week, and one day we went to the beach in Southern California. And I love swimming in the ocean, and one of my favorite things to do in the ocean is boogie board. I don't know if you've done that before, but so we brought some boogie boards with, and once everybody was established on the beach, uh, I went out into the ocean. And my dad, he went, he went with me he, because he loves doing this too. And so we were out playing in the waves and riding, riding them in. And, you know, if you've never boogie boarded before, I, I'm not a professional, but, you know, you just kind of stand around and when a wave comes, then you jump into it and swim and, it, and, and you ride the wave in and you float on this little board. And after a while, I, I saw some people out riding some big waves further out and I thought that also sounded kind of fun. And I wasn't going to do anything way too dangerous, but I went out a bit farther than my dad wanted to. And so... I was bouncing around in these waves, and after a bit, uh, I tried to ride this wave, and it didn't feel like I, that, it, that it brought me closer to shore. Normally, you ride a wave, and it brings you closer to shore, but this one, for some reason, didn't feel like it, and then I thought, well, that's kind of weird, and so another wave came, and I tried to ride on it, and then it also didn't bring me closer to shore, and I, and then, and then uh, I, you know, I tried to reach down and see if I could touch the, the bottom even when a wave crashed and I realized that I was in water deeper than I could touch. And at first my heart kind of went, you know, and I thought, well, panicking is not going to solve anything. Aaron, you're on a boogie board. Just float here. Think about it. And so I, I looked at the beach and there's people and umbrellas everywhere and I tried to get my bearings of who was where, and I saw a familiar umbrella close to where my family was, and I had drifted way, way, way off to the side and further out into the water. And I thought, this is kind of, kind of weird. Um, and then I noticed this lifeguard uh, swimming out into the water. And I thought to myself, you know, huh, that's interesting. I wonder where the lifeguard is going. Um, and, and, then, and then I looked around and there's nobody in sight. I'm the, I'm the only one. And so this, this lifeguard, this college-age, rather scrawny-looking, but well-tanned young man, very calmly and politely came up to me, and he said, how are you doing today, sir? And I looked at him as waves are crashing, and I said, I, I think I'm okay. And he goes, well, you're caught in the rip current, sir. You're getting pulled out into the ocean. And, uh, and, and I said, oh, Okay. And he said, I'll just hold on, you float on your board and I'll, I'll pull you, I'll swim you uh, to a wave that, will, uh, that you can ride then into, uh, into, the, into the beach. And so, you know, he, he was a strong guy, you know. And he grabbed the front of my board and starts swimming and he goes, here you go. And he throws me into this wave and it brings me in a bit and then all of a sudden he pops up out of the water and goes, we're going to have to do that again. And he, so he throws me into another one three or four times and then we're standing on the beach and he says, have a good day, sir. Just stay out of this area. They had marked with these big flags where the rip current was. I had just, I mean, I had inadvertently just been getting sucked closer and closer to it, but then I now knew where I should not go. How can I be confident that I was saved from a Southern California rip current? Because I'm standing here today. I'm standing here. I, I was standing there on the beach, very confident that I was, I guess I was in trouble. I didn't know it, but then I was saved. I am incredibly grateful 
that there was a lifeguard who was on the lookout for someone to go after and seek and save. You could very plainly make the connection and say Jesus is like that lifeguard. And those who are willing to let him save you, you can be confident that he will. You can be confident that he will. It's a different story if he swims up to you and you say, no, no, I got it, I got it, right, as you just get sucked further and further out into the ocean. Or if you try to swim away from him. But even if you do one of those two things, he will still go after you. And he will still be there when you are ready to say, I need some help. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus made the choice to save you. He did it. He sacrificed himself for you. Just as the lifeguard put his life on the line to save me, and just as this guy did in game five of the World Series to save something that was valuable to him. Take a look at this. Each hand, and he just let it hit him right in the chest or the gut. <laughs> wow. I don't know if you've seen that before, but the guy was holding two cans of beer, one for his wife and one for him, and instead of setting the beer down, he's... I think he even leaned into it. I think he saved the woman behind him. That's what he was doing. No. All right. Here's, here's the point. My point in this has nothing to do with beer and beer itself. The point is he could have been holding anything. It's what he valued. And in this case, he valued the beer more than his body. And so he put his belly into it to save the beer. You know, you might watch that, and some people have, and you look at that and you go, that man is foolish. He's foolish. Drop the beer, save yourself, catch the ball. Don't let it hit you. What are you doing, man? But you could also say the same about the lifeguard who saved me. You could say, what kind of foolish person would do that job to swim out into a major rip current intentionally to save somebody? What about the parable of the lost sheep? You might think it's reckless for the shepherd to put 99 sheep's lives on the line to go and save one. You might think it's foolish for the woman to be so concerned about one coin when she's got nine more. And many would say that the way that Jesus chose to save you is foolish. Many have said, it's foolish that Jesus would die for you. What kind of God would die? As a matter of fact, the Bible even says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is powerful when you are weak and in need. When you stand at the feet of Jesus Christ, you will see the power made perfect in his love for you on the cross. You will see that he has great love for you. Jesus has saved you from certain death and eternal punishment through his perfect death and resurrection. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save you. 
Some people think it's foolish. But when you are the stranded swimmer, the lifeguard's selfless action means that you get to make it back to the beach. When you are the lost sheep, that shepherd's so-called reckless love means that you are being brought back to safety and you are valued. When you're that lost coin and the woman does everything she can to go and find it, that woman's actions mean everything to you. And nothing in all of that compares with what Jesus has done to save every one of you. So how can you be confident that you are saved? It is a plain and simple truth. Do you desire to be saved by Jesus and Jesus alone? Do you acknowledge that you are somebody who needs to be saved and that Jesus can save you? If you answer yes to those things, then you are. You are. Plain and simple. You are saved and loved and a Christian person, not because your heart is good and pure, but because the heart of Jesus Christ pulses with a love that is deep and rich and wide for you. You are saved not because your deeds are righteous, but because Jesus was righteous on your behalf and clothes you with his righteousness. You are saved not because you asked Jesus to be your Savior, but because when you were lost and even an enemy of Jesus Christ because of your sin, he died for you, he chose you, he called you, and he's washed you clean of your sins. When your confidence is in Jesus, you can be confident in your salvation. Jesus is the way that you can be confident that you are saved. Put your hope and your trust and your confidence in him. Are you ready for next week's question? Here's what we'll be pondering next week. Is Jesus really the only way? The Bible speaks in some very exclusive terms that only those who believe in Jesus will be saved. But many of us wrestle with this as we look in the world and we see many other good people or we see many other religions. How do, do we make sense of all of this? I pray that you come back next week as we wrestle through that question. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.